0: This episode of Ergo has a trigger and content warning. Uh, we're going to be talking about sexual assault, gender and sex-based violence, and other forms of harm related to that. Well, hello. What's up, man? Hey. You're listening to Ergo, uh, ergoradio.com. What we do here typically is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of Chicago for the more equitable and creative. I'm KISS. I'm Dana. And uh, we're bringing you a, I wouldn't say special episode, but a, a different episode. We wanted to kind of step into the studio today and give a little context and a first kind of processing of what's been going on in Chicago over the last few days, hopefully, you know, in a way that is useful and helpful hmm
1: Mm-hmm. So just to, you know, give the time and context in case you're not listening to this in real time, uh, this is the week that the Surviving R. Kelly docuseries was released on Lifetime, um, and anybody who's listened to this show uh, knows that R. Kelly has been uh, a target for us to discuss harm, sexuality, abuse, consent. Um, we play the game beef with an R&B singer as a way to use humor as a device and maybe are sometimes too lighthearted with the um, the central theme of the game. Uh, but it has been our attempt to constantly uh, be addressing and create new space to talk about harm and consent. And so with that, after that series has has been so triggering uh, and has caused so much discourse and dialogue and response across the country and world, specifically in Chicago, which is also, we need to claim our Kelly. Yeah. Like we can't cast him off, um, in terms of how we hold our, our scene and our lineage accountable. Um, the surviving loudly hashtag has, has emerged in response to that, which has been a really, uh, courageous and, um, powerfully disruptive tool uh, to specifically address harm that has been happening in a epidemic-style pattern in the city, specifically in the creative arts scene, uh, which is a big part of what we do at the show, is cover and document and in many ways celebrate the spaces and individuals that comprise of this scene. Uh, so in some ways, we are accountable to and responsible uh, to address or to acknowledge the harm Uh, that has been named by this community that is not new, that we have known about in different ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, my first response was that this has been a long time coming, and Mm -hmm. it's something that um, kind of piece by piece, just between the two of us, we've been trying to figure out how to more meaningfully discuss on the show. You know, the whole premise of what we do here is that there's this intersection between those making really innovative art and those making sustainable radical social movement in the city whether that's in regard to policing whether that's in regard to economic justice or whether that's in regard to sexual and gender-based harm Um, and so this is in some ways kind of a testing of that premise right Mm -hmm. that's not to say anyone thought that this community or this scene or this you know piece of the creative industry was above that i think anyone who uh, participated knew that like it, there's no reason to think that people here weren't doing what people were doing everywhere, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think a lot of people have been waiting for uh, for the conversations that hopefully now will continue to happen, and and so. I think before we go any further into the specifics, it's important kind of that we name our intentions for what, yeah. where we're at in this. Right.
1: First, I was going to start speaking like personally because mm-hmm. this, is, this is not easy, right? This is uncomfortable and like it's probably going to take us a few minutes to warm up and I'm sure you can like even hear it in our voices <laughs> right now. Um, and so I was probably going to start with like what I'm feeling on my positionality. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but first things first is uh, restorative accountability. Uh, I think needs to be the intention of any conversation around harm, especially sexual violence um, or gendered abuse. Uh, So us kind of unpacking and continue to address what accountability means to us. um, And in this framework of creating new worlds and new systems, uh, how do we do that in a restorative lens, which is really difficult and messy. um, And I don't want to get too deep into like the we got other intentions to name, but just to kind of say where I'm at with that is I am challenging my own ideals of what like balanced, hmm. uh transformative restoration looks like. Uh, because in reading and hearing the voice of survivors, it still feels too lenient. Yeah. Um, and so that that's that's kind of first. Let's let's unpack what the ideals have been um and ch- kind of challenge them moving forward if we need to refine them more. So that's one intention. What else we got?
0: Um I think another intention is that neither of us are in this to be preachy or like we have it all figured out or to frame ourselves as you know the the antithesis of those who guys. commit harm the good guy. I think anyone who is engaging with these ideas especially as a man it's very easy to to say well you are over there doing this mm-hmm. so stop doing this and externalize Yeah and, and and that's not something that either of us are trying to do uh, in this conversation and in how it continues. The other intention that co- just comes to mind is um, we do not have any answers. <laughs> uh, what we do have. Or enough. We may
1: have some answers.
0: <laughs> something. <laughs> we they, got something. They may
1: not be. What's up?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, they might not be the right answers. But the the what we do have uh, and what we'll leave you with at the end of this are a list of some resources, both for people who are trying to understand what's going on, uh, but then also for people who are going through and uh, are feeling these external stories bringing up their own pain and trauma or trying to figure out how to do that with their community and their their friends. Um, So that's what we're leaving you with today. But in the long-term and medium-term, what we have been trying to figure out how to do and are recommitting to today is that a central piece of both of our work is figuring out how, in the communities we're part of, uh, we can reshape, reimagine what response to gender-based and sexual-based harm can look like, uh, and to hold accountable those who commit that harm.
1: Mm-hmm. Another intention is, as we've been documenting these interconnected, overlapping communities, our claim uh, is that dialogue is a political art form that exists in all of these spaces that we are talking about uh that can be used to transform for creative equity right mm-hmm. and so uh in addition to us using dialogue right now as one of our tools i think taking a look at the discourse overall uh because even though most of it is like in the digital space uh, a real responsive discourse has emerged within these last few hours um and i think Naming the power of that and however it is emerging, uh, is important in, in this conversation. So what we have learned from how mainstream discourse has used me too, is that in this moment, we need to be centering harm and centering survivors. Uh, and so even sometimes, the way we talk about perpetrators and people try to hold people accountable, we often re-trigger and reharm the folks who have been impacted the most. And so that is, you know, our intention is to be sensitive and aware um, and to be in support and partnership with those who are surviving sexual violence. Uh, And we as folks who do not identify as survivors of sexual violence are aware of our position in in us having this conversation.
0: So let's get into kind of what's been happening and why we just gave all of that... (laughs) (laughs) we're nervous (laughs) (laughs) and that's good to name it too Um, so like Damon mentioned uh, coming out of this docu-series produced by Dream Hampton on Lifetime called Surviving R. Kelly kind of the jumping off point from that that got more specific to the people in our community um, is that Chance the Rapper was in the documentary and you know apologetic or uh naming the fact that he had made music with R. Kelly and brought him out on stage as a a mistake and that that's something that he regrets. So when people saw that, a lot of what they said was, that's all well and good, but there are people who perpetuate uh, sexual harm in your circle and what are you going to do about that and how are you, you know, it's hypocritical to call it out here but be okay with it here. And as that door was opened, then people started naming people who surround him or have been affiliated with him or save money or the the scene in general. And people took this opportunity to name the individuals who had assaulted or raped or harmed them. Mm -hmm. And what emerged was, you know, a list of kind of piecemealed of close to a dozen men now who have over the last five to eight years harmed people and attacked people Mm -hmm. in in different ways. And some of them we know, some of them we don't know. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we want to name specifically the people who have been on the show, who've been named um, Ethos or Ethan Vietz van Leer, who was on the third episode, I believe, of the show way back in 2015. And then Malcolm London, who we've had on a couple times Mm -hmm. And who and both of us have a, you know, ongoing and close relationship with in different ways, Um, and then there are people beyond that. Right, this is um,
1: not easy to do because, like you said, you know. There's close relationship. And that, and that is usually the issue is the bond we feel specifically to men. Right. And I think that's part of how patriarchy works is that it protects and it gives men more value, um, even in the midst of their harm. We get into the, the, the habits uh, of not fully holding accountable. So it is complicated to have notions of community because i believe relationship is the pathway to real accountability um and these ideas of no one is disposable and restoration uh in the midst of this vacuum of of real accountability so i just want to name um my potential to have uh been enabling or yeah. at least um passive uh as Ethan Ethos and Malcolm are both people that I name as friends, uh, and will be in communication with. Uh, I've not spoken to either of them directly mm-hmm. since surviving loudly, um, has popped off. Uh, but you know, I, I need to be accountable. This show needs to be accountable as we have had Malcolm publicly, you know, associated with, um, and he is he is one of my best friends, honestly, like beyond the scene beyond this right. show um he is somebody who I have very, very close relationship with and love, and we talk through these things, so right. so um that is a part of our framework, but let's go back well, to the
0: i just um, what to that point, and yeah. that means that that's why it's important you know
1: that's why I have to say something right, you know,
0: like you know, kind of transparently, like Marin did on his show after louis. Of information, around, Mark you know, Maron like, and Louis C.K.
1: for folks who aren't who aren't
0: like, as in the <laughs> in the podcast <laughs> world. But uh, you know, when this is your friend, that's why you speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, so there's
1: discomfort of doing it publicly, but yeah. because this harm is public, there's or a requirement to be public too. Yeah. yeah. So so let's get back to that central tension of chances participation in this series. Um, and how the critique of his participation in this series um has led to this to this discourse so I, you know i I am struggling with it personally as somebody who has intimate connection to this scene and has had a lot of criticisms uh but i i I do want to name before I think I get into a more critical mm-hmm. posture um that him taking that public step has actually made space, even if he didn't do it, has made space <laughs> for this conversation. And so I don't want to credit him for that right. per se, but I do want to name that. Uh, yeah, so I, I'll let you kind of frame it because it, it's personal for me and I'll kind of jump in. Uh, so so what, what do you think or what did you s- see or feel around around the fact that a, you know, charismatic black male leader type figure uh, in his entry and his engagement has led to these tensions and contradictions.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no such thing as a, as a savior, right? So there's no such thing as someone who's going to, you know, even if someone is fully publicly accountable, especially when they're famous, like that doesn't heal anything. Mm -hmm. It opens the door. Mm -hmm. And so whether he meant to open the door or not, I think what it actually points out is all of the ways that the door was shut and held closed for years here because it was very beneficial for an emerging industry (laughs) to have, you know, young charismatic men who made good music, uh, continue to shine and grow and get new opportunities. Mm-hmm. If I had had the concrete stories, and I think if other people had, had the concrete stories ahead of time, maybe this would, you know, in, in, uh, two years ago, five years ago, publicly, that maybe would have been different. But also we know plenty of cases where that's not the what happens, mm-hmm. where people share their stories and those stories are ignored or silenced. Um, and so I think, I think one thing it points to in this is kind of not the main point, but is how media can be useful in this mm-hmm. tool, you know, as a tool for this, because it was this documentary that opened up a lot of conversations and, like, the more nuanced discourses in the very like vibrant Me Too movement of like this isn't an entertainment problem, mm-hmm. this is a it's people a problem, epidemic, and this humanity. just happens to be the industry in which we people are most it. publicly facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a you know multi-billion dollar industry. How many other workplaces and industries does this happen? And, and and it's been a like I said, it's been a long time coming here. And the women of this creative artistic community have been talking about it for a long, a long ass long time. time. You know, we've had people up here talking mm-hmm. about this. The episode that we're gonna be dropping on Thursday, which we recorded two weeks ago before before, before all this came, came mm-hmm. out, you know, it was it was less specific. It's with Swopes, who's a brilliant photographer and visual artist. And, you know, the point that she was at, you know, being in her mid-20s and trying to figure out how to move forward was a, like, is the only way that I can continue to be okay to disconnect from the people who I've been in the mix with. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish um, I wish I had a sense of how many other women are facing that challenge who have, you know, been part of this quote community. For, you know, maybe since Especially they were... Especially black women. Yeah, exactly. So, maybe I, since they were 15, you know, mm-hmm. and now they're having to make that very difficult decision. So, yeah,
1: I want to... I there's something I wanted to challenge mm-hmm. in what you said, but to that specific point uh, of of less than many, but I've definitely had access to the mix or to the scene or to the, yeah. to, to, to the to, you know, the social center. And definitely something I observed... Uh, was the colorism in, like, celebratory mm. spaces um, and and how it got to a point in, like, when the celebration was the most, like, secluded, there was a limit of Black women being there, mm. um, knowing that Black women have had relationship to, to this scene in this community. Uh, so wondering if that is by, like, you know, after they have been harmed, they've been excluded, or, like, choosing. So I was saying that to the point of, like, even the women, because we don't want to assume, who have not directly... Um, experience the physicality of this harm I think the consciousness and the spirit of the harm is prevalent to a way where like disengagement is obvious and I'm saying that because the point I was trying to make is I could see it hmm. right as somebody who's not affected by it, I felt it like there's something the gender and the racial gender balance of these rooms feels off and does not feel like the world that i know and the world that i know that we're connected to yeah and there are many reasons for that but to the like the point of uh the music or entertainment industry i think that's a common thing of like yeah we need to to check the space our real spaces our workplaces our households our families our communal spaces but i think there is something distinct that we we do Mm -hmm. need to point out about how celebrity fame and power yeah actually further extends and creates more space and more opportunity um to get away with like the r kelly as the the figurehead uh and that's something i I wrestle with like he is obviously one of the most extreme cases i've ever heard of in history in terms of abusive women uh but like let's not make this an r kelly problem obviously right uh but he as a figurehead in his story so much of the detail is that it is only made possible because he is a celebrity because he's a talented artist and right. he, he's we i feel like we've actually overblown the talent since as a way to protect rape right. um but as a, as a successful artist and as a rich person right and so like the ability to fly people around the ability to have publicists the ability yeah. um to have strangers supporting you uh just somebody's boss who is equally you know and i'm trying to be careful about ableism but like d- uh, predatorial. Yeah. Uh, does not have that same access. Right. Right. And so, chance's voice and chance's communication and his performance in the world um, does have more impact because more, just literally more people are right. engaging it. Um, I'm going to be honest and then be honest again. I think I'm going to be honest the whole time. It's my <laughs> plan. <laughs> From here on out, I'll be honest. Up until now. <laughs> um, <laughs> for people like us, it is very difficult. I think we need to break through the, the, the psyche of how this works and how the R. Kellys are created using Chance as a, as a lesser example of like the contradictions and how he's played in this now. Um, because he is so beneficial to us, hmm. right? And honestly, more than most, because he intends and names uh, doing so many more communally facing things, right. uh, it has been really hard to have space to publicly name criticisms without feeling like a hater, without feeling like you're taken away from the city without, and without feeling like you would lose access, right? So, you know, you volunteer at Open Mic, um, you know, I I showed up to one of the Amari campaigns and then just socially, right? Like the rooms that our age group, our community can get access to, the the, the global celebrity that we can have access to through him specifically um, is something that is enticing. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think that protects him. Um, It makes it difficult to even like talk about it right now. Because I will be honest, like when I saw him say all of those right things, and I will say that everything that I saw him say in the clip was the right thing to say, it did upset me Hmm. to hear him say that. Why? Um, Because it felt performative and it felt insincere Hmm. um, in a way that was self serving, even if it's true. Which I think is a larger pattern right. at, at play, right? So not saying you are wrong or not saying that you're lying or you're saying something that you don't know is the right thing to say.
0: But telling it only when it's beneficial. Only you. say it when
1: it's beneficial to you and it is contradictory to how I know you. So even like before we get into kind of the the, the save money universe and what is like being kind of discussed about them, just the R. Kelly thing alone him different from other public figures, he has... Ignorance was not an excuse. Right. It was an explicit choice because I know that people were having conversations with him about it. And I know that he was actively, like, not trying to hear it. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know the, the actual, like, dialogue, so I don't want to put words in. But having him on albums, having, it, you know... As Chicagoans, we knew the discourse. Right. And we don't even have to go back to, like, the tape and the, the trial as we became high schoolers, I know his friends, I, we have some of the, that have had firsthand experience of being hit on by R. Kelly. We, we there has been plenty of articles, there have been plenty of, of public stuff, and he has a a, a very high awareness of what's happening publicly. Um, and so, the playing both sides of the fence, now yeah. that it is the media moment, uh, was something that was upsetting, and I feel, um, and I think Survivor's name, I felt like it was a detraction uh, hmm. from the real restoration that is needed. Um, and like a blanket kind of apology. Um, it felt like pleading ignorance in a way that I don't think is appropriate. I think he knew hmm. that is a little bit different or distinct from what I'm hearing from other people.
0: Right. It's very different to say I didn't know and now I know versus I knew and didn't care. And now I care and neither is good, (laughs) but one is probably more honest than the other, you know, to move from him to this, you know, larger, whether you want to call it a community or a Mm -hmm. co-industry of colleagues who make Mm -hmm. creative work, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the way that we've framed conversations around that is about the places where these people came together when they were 15, 18, 20, Mm -hmm. uh, and the... Uniqueness of what happened in those rooms, whether mm-hmm. that's YCA, whether that's UMedia, whether that's the other places where that happened. These alternative education spaces that emerge as nonprofits because there's divestment from schools and mm-hmm. the creative community has fewer places to go, so they go to like one of three places. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not to this is not saying that those things aren't. What came out of those rooms wasn't amazing. I do think it is still it's uh, dialectic. It's yeah. exactly yeah. it is both unique. In what it creates, and it is unfortunately a place. normal. And exactly. How it's harmful. One thing that I've been thinking about as this has unfolded how do we talk about the limitations of those spaces as education spaces, mm-hmm. right? Because if, you know, many of the people talked about were at these open mics or in these writing workshops or were going to, you know, whether it was U Media or Louder Than a ba- Bot, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they walked away from those spaces and then a year later, two years later, or while they were in them were doing these things, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a like, it's not a question of who's responsible, but it means that something wasn't addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that the people who build those spaces are the only ones accountable for that. you know, it's not, why didn't you save this kid? Because like we said, there are no saviors, mm-hmm. but it's, it's acknowledging that while these spaces have been alternatives, they haven't been transformational in the way that one is needed, or two, they sometimes purport it to be right, um, and, and so just like when we talk about nonprofits up here in general, mm-hmm. kind of taking the place of these public things that have existed that you know were flawed and harmful. You know, CPS is harmful, but also, you know, if someone did some of these things in right,
1: right. If, if so, yeah, the the point that I made, like. <sighs>
0: <laughs> yeah man it's, so we gotta be radical
1: about it right and so radical meaning to the root to the root and so we translate that to let's talk about the structure um, and so I also do want to talk about the specifics and anybody who is specifically being named I think it is appropriate for us to discuss it right now if it's happening publicly mm-hmm. um, but I want to start with the structure um, so I think as as fucked up as CPS is if there were multiple allegations of students being harmed, a principal would not be able to keep that job because of public accountability. Right. Right. Um, and so just because we have had progressive nonprofits that are private corporations, we have to know right. that like nonprofit is almost like a mask. What we're saying is company. Right. right. Uh, and we've talked a little a bit. A mission driven power, company. Right. Um, that just pays people the surplus. Mm-hmm. Right, so let's even break that down because we're going to talk about. It. So in a tr- traditional for-profit corporation, there are shareholders, and then labor is exploited, and few people at the top CEO, board of directors get to make all the decisions, and then they give the the resources to the shareholders instead of the workers or people who need it. Mm-hmm. Nonprofit, what they just have to do is any nonprofit is just not have a surplus. So that means you can just pay the executives, pay the managers more. And that that's not always a norm. A lot of nonprofits are underfunded. A lot of nonprofits do really, really valuable work. And we have obviously documented that. Right. But the issue, and I think like charter schools is a very clear cut example of this is that once it is a private corporation making these decisions, especially decisions of things we need, education, art is actually a human need. Um, Youth and child development uh, is a human need. Uh, once we say that we as a collective are not going to do that, we're going to give it to these we're private outsourcing corporations, it, yeah. uh, then there, is, there are no tools for accountability. Um, and so you can stay in your same position or things can function the same way for a decade. Um, and the messaging may change. People may like change in their behavior. Uh, but the overall system can continue to work in that same way. Um,
0: And so if that is the environment and the, you know, if that is as far as the reimagined education space gets, then the people who walk through those doors are going to walk out with that same understanding mm -hmm. of like, as long as it doesn't become too big and as long as you can manage it and as long as you hopefully don't do the worst possible thing, Mm -hmm. like you can just kind of keep going and keep scared and manage the, um, like the PO, the optics of mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just a limitation I think of what people have been able to build here yeah. and you know again it's not accusing but it's saying like that is a shortcoming that we need to name especially when so many of these organizations and the people within them have been celebrated mm-hmm. and had movies made about them mm-hmm. and you know trade on this politic in a way that enables them to continue getting new opportunities and you know mm-hmm. Both of the people we've had on the show would be who who we've named would be examples of people who have gotten opportunities off of an understanding of at least the language of this politic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, sometimes you kind of want someone you're like, if someone's going to do something fucked up, at least don't be a hypocrite about it. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it feels worse when there's someone who earns someone's trust by having an understanding of the language and then doesn't embody that. And as a result of that commits harm
1: yeah and so you know not separating us or myself from it at all so i think right now you know we're i think what has named a lot in surviving loudly which is you know we're not just talking abstractly was the yca space and so i think i am symbolic uh, of the contradictions that enable the shit to continue on because I, as a a young man who entered that space around 18, 19, and was there like pretty frequently for like three, four years, and like in in coming to adulthood, that's really where I found community. That's where I found uh, my performative, you know. Mm -hmm. So, what, what I know for myself is that I don't believe Let Us Breathe or Ergo would exist without that space. Right. And that in itself, me having that relation to it, of coming out of it with platforms and, you know, maybe like, oh, I'm salty about like, somebody don't talk to me no more, but like to, to not have to leave with the trauma or the stigma right. um, that so many young girls and so many women have is an issue. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's difficult because uh, similar to chance and even different, cause these are closer relationships. Uh, cause me and him, we're not like boys. Um, I have, I, now, I won't even put it in the past tense to absolve myself. You know, I have respect and relationships of love with a Kevin Culver or with a Roger Bonero guard, right? Um, and I think that hampers me hmm. in how I maneuver in relation to these principles of we need to have accountability, right? Right. Um, and, it, and it needs to figure out how to be done in the commons publicly, Right. Uh, when the impact is o- often so public, and so you know, with the we got new tools now, um, and so you know, first louder than a bomb, I think is O two, <laughs> Twitter is like O eight, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and and so you know, the the public nature of it is is making it much more difficult for closed door solutions to be the only response, right? Um, and so yeah, I think that's what we're really searching for is how do we center, be aware of harm and survivors, and not be retriggering, but create collective, accessible space to change consciousness and build new responses publicly. Uh, And I think, you know, YCA has named in some ways, but has been inadequate Um, in trying to to figure out, especially with the position they have, uh, because any solution that I think would be crafted there would travel so much faster than in other spaces, uh, that there is a really uh, an extra responsibility. And I'm sure, you know, and there's so many good people. And right now, there are black women who are in that space and who hold that space accountable uh, and survivors who are in that space and hold that space accountable um, and have been harmed in that space and are still doing the work. So it's not like a Institutions and people, they're obviously like, you can't separate them, but they're not one in the same. So in that space, even still today, I'm confident that there are people, men and women, black women, survivors, um, who have attempted to and who are taking on the the burden responsibility. So I don't want to, you know, I want to be very careful in in how we name it. But I I think for those of us, for those who listen and don't have access to the space and those who listen and do, uh, we just need to make sure that we are getting better. So this is more just even practice for you and I really.
0: Yeah. And this isn't, you know, again, it's not, we're, we're naming them because that's the space that we have the most, uh, close relationship to. Like there's a lot of people who made a lot of money and had a lot of access and, you know, companies that have profited off of the art of the people who to some degree we've named and some of the other people have been named, uh, in the last day. And they are equally as responsible for figuring out what to do with that now, mm-hmm. um, but I just don't have the the personal relationships to like make that make that push for accountability to them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so striving to do this in love uh, right. is really the goal. So, I, th- I think part of what that love can look like is us trying to be more concrete in naming like our ideals or what we think could be needed and i think there's also probably some more specifics that we need to circle back to that we've like teased and introduced but i just want to talk about accountability and gender Mm -hmm. as superstructures and with the zoom out yeah and make sure that like we know what that is so you know i have a a working definition of accountability that i use it is um the acknowledgement of impact of behavior right so Hmm. that is words or actions And or the lack thereof. Um, And so I think we need to be more proactive. I've said this, you know, we need to be more proactive and balanced in our accountability um, generally. But when harm has happened, it is then time to center that harm uh, and figure out what actions, what words or what lack of actions and lack of words created and perpetuate that harm. How do we acknowledge it, like name it? How do we say we know that this was harmful um, as a first step? to repairing the harm, so healing the wounds and, and building back the strength and building up the humanity of people who have been harmed um, and creating new consciousness to for folks to develop new patterns hmm. um, and, and knowing that it is you know, a lifetime of work. Uh, but accountability means to acknowledge impact. And impact, if you want to dichotomize it, is usually harm
0: or benefit. Um, and could be really different from intention, too. Exactly. I mean, Which that's a maybe struggle the, for most people. Mm-hmm, that separation of even if you didn't mean to hurt someone, your actions still hurt them. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're the worst person. And this is on such a micro level, even not in relation to like these. You know very clear cut forms of violence that mm. we came in here with in our head, but the little ways that we hurt each other that we don't mean to right and hopefully you're in community with people who aren't trying to hurt you right and that does happen. There are people who are trying to hurt each other, and you know it would be naive to say that's not the case, but I feel like more often than not it's people who aren't trying to hurt someone who do yeah, and then in hearing that, they have to they get defensive or they're not able to see that even if it wasn't what they meant to do, that they did that. And and so they, they push back in that moment. Yeah. So that's one thing that just as someone in the little ways I've encountered that the easiest way to move from that initial moment of hearing that you've done something that has hurt someone is to be okay with the fact or acknowledge the fact that even if you didn't mean to, the impact can be different from your intention.
1: Right. And so that's really important um, is that, we need to know that impact more or less is subjective. <laughs> right. Um, and so therefore um, we usually argue what we intended or bring right. up what we intended um, as a way to counter the yeah. subjective nature of harm. Uh, and so there are some, <sighs> I don't know the word, there are some like benchmarks or absolutes, right? Like, right. you know, to to cause physical damage Sexual violence, murder, you know, or or killing somebody. Murder right. is like a construction. Killing somebody is harm. Right. Right. Um, Pushing somebody into
0: a room and taking their clothes off is harm. Right.
1: But the way in which someone is harmed is going to vary. So, like, if we go back and, and, and just try to take away from sexual violence, which we are as cis-hetero men— very limited in discussing from our experience, uh, but just accountability and harm overall, you know, me saying, Oh, I hate you. Right. Right. You could laugh and the next person could be seriously damaged from it. Right. So right. I only did one thing. I said right. the same thing. My intentions was to be playful, but I have to then a- account for and right. acknowledge, um, that I was, that I understand how my actions harmed the person that took it subjectively in a way that affected them. Um, and make promise, more or less, mm-hmm. um, on how my actions will will go forward, which is more important than a, an apology, right? So often we think like just saying I'm sorry or apologetics is sufficient for accountability. It is a component, uh, but often can be weightless. And so it's really about you because you can say, oh, I'm sorry if I hurt you, yeah. right? Which is a thing. Or that you I'm sorry right. you feel that I'm way. I'm sorry that this is I'm what sorry
0: happened. that the result of me doing this is you were hurt as opposed to, I'm sorry that no, what you, I did. you're hurt. You, you yeah. named it.
1: And um, my apology is only valid if I accept my position right. in that hurt and am making some type of agreement, whether explicit or... To try to restore it, explicit, yeah. That going
0: forward, I am aware of how that can hurt and will, will you know, rearrange. Yeah. The rest so, of this episode, I'm going to be wondering, does Damon hate me? <laughs>
1: and yeah and then you know I, I don't think we need to like teach what what gender is right now but i think we just really need to make sure um that men specifically because it is a burden um who have began to understand the construction of gender sex and sexuality which are three different things um were designed more or less explicitly to harm right uh Especially the the man woman dichotomy, it is one of imbalance and power, and it is a, a a relationship of oppression and so for us who similar to whiteness or similar to Americanism or similar to you know middle class consumerism, um, for those of us who live with and accept that identity, and even your acceptance is not even you know always an important, but live with that identity and the power and the history that comes with that um before getting into like any vocabulary, just knowing that we need to be prepared to unwork and reassess the whole thing. Like don't take anything about what it means to be man and the relationship to woman for, for granted. Right. It is more or less all bullshit. And the thing that I think save money as a microcosm is, is it is, is, is beneficial for is that it show, it can show all of the many ways in which men can, are Regularly harmful outside of just the egregious and sexual instant violence, violence yeah. right? And so only like the explicit, probably like Ill- illegal. Right. <laughs> uh, harm has been named but the way in which men position themselves to women think about women interact with women um is harmful in so many other abusive manipulative apathetic ways yeah that we are not unpacking in this conversation or i've not seen being unpacked especially right. by men right. we usually just go to the disgust of the worst oh you know it's almost like the cop's talking about the bad cop right it's like no policing is a right, bad thing. Right. Patriarchy is a bad thing. There are no good cops. There really are no good guys. Like, let that right. go. Um, and and we need to like really get into the much more intimate of how we even speak right. and position our bodies to women.
0: You know, it's the way we talk about dialogue up here. Like we went to the macro and then going to the micro, like, you know, you hear people after the me too, they be like, well, now I'm afraid to ask someone out. I'm like afraid to talk to but it's like the point is not. <laughs> don't engage because that's an assertion of power again. Mm-hmm. The point is understand your communication and your positioning and your physicality and your voice in relationship to systems and moments of violence. Mm-hmm. And then try to adapt and adjust with that understanding so that you are not benefiting from or perpetuating those uh patterns of behavior or those structural uh patterns of imbalance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, as a scene of people in their early 20s, and, you know, we we talk a bunch about this, like, quote, cool kids group. Um, and this is not to distance ourselves from it, because I think there's plenty of cool kids groups mm-hmm. in different ways, but...
1: To others, we are part of that group. We may feel like we're looking out, but there's somebody looking at us. <laughs> and
0: I think there's also a lot of people who, I think kind of, almost everybody feels that way. Mm-hmm. There is no kind of like centered nucleus, no matter how many times people try to brand it that way. Um, but that's a separate point. But I think so much of it being rooted in how deeply people are able to participate in an entertainment industry and access to alcohol and access ah, to that's going out and access to drugs, you know, so many of the stories that came out in the last few days have been, you know, either this happened when I was on drugs or Mm -hmm. had been drinking or the reason why this guy thought it was okay to do this is because we had previously had sex when we were on drugs or Mm -hmm. had been drinking. Mm -hmm. And so they took that as this the way that this decision was made at a time where people's decision making was uh, manipulated mm-hmm. then opened the door for other moments uh, of that kind of implied false consent to be then superimposed on these other moments where that didn't exist.
1: Which is a deeper, like, if, if we're going to be rooted, like, it is a, a deep, deep cultural problem. Right. Is our, you know, as we are a, a post or a, Contemporary drug war society, um, how much of our daily life um, from you know illicit, you know, you know illegal drugs, pharmaceuticals, and alcohol as a drug, just how prevalent it is in just our consciousness. And so, you know, I learned in high school, um, and I, you know, I think there may be more nuance to the the dialogue around it now, but more or less that you know impairment, especially from alcohol, disallows. The capacity for consent, right? So if you're drunk, having drunk sex and consensual sex is a very difficult thing, which is hard yeah. for us to unpack.
0: And I also don't think it's that clear cut. I think it's, that's a that was a an attempt mm-hmm. to address the challenge that's that we're how are talking I was taught about in high school, yeah. that <laughs> is super un because w- the, what does that that right, means? Because there's that that, like, agency. And, then we both assaulted each other. Right, if right. we bo- like,
1: but the point being about impairment and um, substance use. And, you know, as somebody, you know, I, I probably got drunk the first time at like 15 and like by 16, 17, definitely 17 through 19, um, like, you know, was a big proponent of underage drinking And as I've like looked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Funny thing to stand out. Yeah, at, I,
1: I was, I did stand out, you know, as I've like transitioned to adult, I have not been around underage drinking, but like philosophically, I felt that it was like kind of a part of my development hmm. that was okay um and i think for me did not lead to any tragedy or disaster it went, it, well i got in trouble Got into some big trouble I almost did actually <laughs> nearly Nobody disaster yeah, yeah actually it was fun. <laughs> 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 but uh, the point i'm trying to make is like i don't even think we have like a lens to realize how our culture specifically around alcohol um has perpetuated uh the space in, an, in, in a harmful it may, it's almost like the body like an acidic environment yeah um,
0: and I think then when you tie it in with people who are trying to build careers in entertainment like that is where the industry takes place mm-hmm. is at night in rooms that serve alcohol and, for, drugs. and give
1: it to you for free right. especially if you're famous
0: and you know that's where the socializing that's like the goal is to have access to that room mm-hmm. for a lot of people mm-hmm. Um, and that's the marker that you've quote like made it mm-hmm. And you know, even for people, because a lot of the people who have been named in the last few days are people who aren't even explicitly artists, right? They're people who are around. Um, And so then, the goal isn't even to be able to make a career creating; like it's not a creative endeavor. It's about access, and it's about an entitlement that I think then gets superimposed onto how people treat how men treat women.
1: That's the part about accountability. That that it, it, it so there's harm and benefit right but it's like happening in multiple dimensions so there's that where we need to be hyper accountable to is when we benefit from other people's harm hmm. right so you can acknowledge how your actions were harmful or beneficial but you know especially in sexual activity like right did you receive pleasure or ego right. or a sense of self or status or you know some type of fulfillment from something that was harmful for someone else, right. that that I think is a lesson mm-hmm. or a line, because um, then it's length. placing
0: yourself into it, not just putting it on what happened to the other right, person. Right. It's like, what did this, what did this actually do for me? Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. so, you know, as a, you know, and I know you will be careful, but like, feel free to engage in like yeah. this space and however you want. But like, as a as a black man growing up, a young black boy, I, you know, what I had to unlearn. And you know, still unlearned. I, I luckily like my practice of isolation. Also, just like gives me better spaces. Um, but just in the way that we interacted as men about our sexuality yeah. was, and this may not be specific to black men, but there is there is some specificity. I want to, it was rooted in conquest. It was um, dismissive of consent. It was coercive. Right, Mm -hmm. the idea is like you know the language became finesse, like you know finessing, Mm -hmm. which is uh, a synonym for stealing or scamming or tricking somebody, uh, became a language for sex. Right, like I finessed was this was like under me. This was like when I was becoming an adult and like older teenagers and like young adults that I was hanging with. I I started to hear that, so that was never part of like my lexicon. But it it made perfect sense. Pat, you know, I'm trying to smash. I'm trying to cut. I'm trying to nail. Right, uh, I'm gonna beat it up. Yeah. I killed it. Right. It,
0: it so is... those are inherently violent. But this idea of like coercion or tricking, mm-hmm. I think is a is a related but somewhat more nuanced point. About mm-hmm. it. it's not just I, the I'm celebrating that I committed this violence. It's a I'm celebrating I, that like I convinced this person yeah. to let me commit this violence to them
1: that says something about me the game that I have right the way that I can spit the way that I can talk
0: you know in relation to other men way more than it does to women
1: the way that I hop down the way that I you know all these I'm just trying to like give people the language (laughs) uh, of the late 2000 aughts yeah Um, all of it was about um, some sort of like insincere extraction yeah uh, that I think was the norm it was like what was celebrated um, adults, men and women, right? Like, you know, would celebrate it or would excuse right. it the idea of having, you know, the thing about R. Kelly that was so. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about R. Kelly that was so clear Uh when the first like, what was it? Reddit
0: article. It was some publication. It was in the tr- It was a Greg Cott probably. No,
1: not that one. Like a year or two ago, when the the the, the sex slave mm-hmm. stuff. That that yeah. is like newer. That's when like the last eighteen months or so. Yeah. and it was on sub publication that I think made people take it less seriously. <laughs> Um, But I was listening to Sway in the morning and hearing people call in and hearing how many men defended that life because that is what we desired, to have a house of women who are under our control in some type of way, whether they have agency or not, Um, um, whether it's abusive. That that is what so many men wanted. And so once they heard that as a thing, they found so many ways to pull away the harm of it. It's right. the parents' fault. They they're over eighteen, which right. is like a sick, like how many people have nineteen year old girls in your family that right. you still view as your little cousin or a girl, right. um, with this fifty year old man,
0: and also just
1: and people can
0: be non consensual with someone who's over eighteen, who's like, an
1: adult. Adults can be abused as well, right, and right. so and so to hear, and I think it's changing now, but to hear. I, I heard much more in the like, mainstream discourse, not like the radical intersectional shit that like usually comes
0: my way. A defense of it, particularly from Black men, because it is the ideal, right? But and I don't think that that's specifically. I, I think the response in this case is racial, but I think this is rooted in yeah. like this is the more general, more general, more general patriarchal exactly. idea of sure. like you know women as trophy for winning in war. As, you know mm-hmm. this idea that like the. You know, there are so many examples. The comfort women in Korea, when Japan was an imperial power there, there were these women who were basically sold and traded as sexual objects to placate this imperial power. Yeah. Or, you know, there's just so many I mean, examples. Any war you're going to hear about. And I think mm-hmm. the point that you made, the deep sickness of this patriarchal structure is that it actually has nothing to do with women. <laughs> Right. It has to do with men in relationship to each mm-hmm. other and asserting superiority and power and hierarchy over each other. Because patriarchy so,
1: is about masculinist competition.
0: Right. So one of the deepest roots of that objectification is actually, not that I see a woman as an object, but that I don't see her at all. Right. Like I'm doing this to her, imagining or physically looking at other men mm-hmm. and, and seeing how they're viewing me. And this is a challenge to them. Mm-hmm. So again, when we talk about harm, when we talk about centering the people who've been harmed it's not just like in these particular cases it's thinking about as a man how many of your behaviors are you doing you know and this is not the same as a double conscience but like are you imagining how men see the way you're acting and is that informing your decisions like who are you when we say accountable to it's like who are you imagining seeing you do this and how is that informing the decisions you make mm-hmm. and i think if at least for me when i have a more nuanced understanding of who i'm actually in community with Mm -hmm. and who I want to be connected to Mm -hmm. and what types of relationships I want to have to them. Mm -hmm. It's not this abstract idea of like, why am I going to be called soft or a bitch or any Mm -hmm. of these things? It's like, I want to figure out how to frame this. I am less worried about how an abstract man who is this masculine ideal would view mm-hmm. my behavior in relation to that, mm-hmm. and I'm much more concerned with the actual people around me mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i'm not I'm not in relationship to an ideal, whether that's a masculine ideal whether that's a capitalist ideal I know that i'm in that I live complicit in those, but what I care about is how I relate to am seen by and see the real people who exist around me, and those people look a lot of different ways and have a lot of different experiences.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, a responsibility that men in this time have, you know, the goal is, is restoration, you know, repair, transformation, healing. And what gets named is like accountability is a preliminary or first step to that. Right. right? This is going to be difficult because we don't have the full answers, but we have thought about it. You know, we do, have connection to community that, you know, there are some minor examples and we have ideals that we can kind of talk through and project. And, you know, I I definitely want to invite anybody who listens to this to either add on or challenge, you know, where, where, where we're coming from, but let's try to imagine what process and what space should be made for accountability. How should we do it? Right. Because the idea is that no one is disposable but we cannot be passive in allowing harm to continue and persist, especially when it's been named. Um, and so we, as men, our responsibility, therefore, is to create that first space for people to acknowledge their harm right. um, and then start the process that has to be consensual for repair and then ideally transformation. And so just based off things you've seen, I can talk, you know, there's, yeah. there are things that I'm doing now that I am – weary of being public about because don't want to take up more space and don't want to be public before we figure things out. But I think with this, with this, you know, new emergence might just have to take that risk. Uh, but I'll kind of let you go first in terms of like where your imagination or your examples lead you in terms of what we could or should be doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, so the, you have more structural answers. I think that I do just because, you know, you're an organizer's organizer. Like you're like, let's organize this. Mm -hmm. I think you know and this it's going to sound a little cliche but it's like having these conversations the other 364 days of the year too so mm-hmm. it's not just a responsive reactive conversation um so and it's not it's also not just calling out someone when they do that though of course that's important like hey that's unacceptable or why did you do that pushing them in those conversations um but this just being something you know we have such a poor culture of language around sex specifically, Mm -hmm. not to mention sexuality and gender, which is something, but I think that there are more people that I come across who are working to pick apart and reimagine the language around gender gender and sexuality than there are around sex sex and sexual harm. That being said, there are a lot of people who we have crossed paths with who that has been their life work. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's even right there, like, when people hear sex and sexuality, why we're saying those is two separate words. So sex, right, is twofold, right? There, It is often the biological assignment in relation to reproductive parts and then also acts of pleasure connected to reproductive organs is what sex. So sex yeah. is a much more biological thing. So as of now, and I think we should definitely uh, reference folks to our pigeon Interview. Uh, but sex is the the most people understand it through a binary of male and female. And Pigeon and other folks are teaching us that it is actually a spectrum. Um, but that is something that has to do with like medical assignment. Uh, sexuality uh, is then uh the performance, preferences, activity. Um, related to sex right so that's right. where you get into queer politics that's where you get the the artificial dichotomy of gay straight yeah and so just that was just a little communal definition mm-hmm.
0: and I think we I just hear way more conversation around sexuality than I do around sex sex yeah. um and so I think you know as people engage in reimagining our world some of it is being more upfront, not even always publicly, but just especially between men. But I think also just in general with the people who we have close relationships with about past experiences, challenges, questions, you know, every step of growth in regard to sex that I've had my whole life has been because I've been able to communicate with somebody and they've been able to communicate with me, Mm -hmm. whether that's a partner, whether that's a friend, whether that's family, whoever it is, it's been getting to the point where people can articulate their needs, their questions, um, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, both like physically and emotionally. And so I think there are ways to do that with people who are not necessarily the people you're absolutely closest to, but people you've built that trust with. And I think people are really hungry for it. Mm-hmm. I, I know I am. I know mm-hmm. I wish I had more rooms where I could talk about that and not have the whole conversation just be about the times where it turns illegally violent. Mm-hmm. Um because I think there's all kinds of things to tease apart that that violence is a symptom of that the way to address it is to get to the root in the other moments where that kind of harm isn't perpetuated. Mm-hmm. How about mm-hmm. you?
1: Yeah, so it's difficult cuz I'm am trying right now in in my life and uh you know and I'm, I'm, I'm being active but still always feel so limited. Yeah. Still feel behind the ball. So, you know, um very, very dear person in my life Um, I was aware of and observe and have proximity to patterns of forms of abuse. Uh, And so it's difficult as I'm trying to build uh, programs and trying to figure out, like, for the abstract community what is needed. Um, The fact that even though I attempted to intervene, I definitely attempted to give counsel for the harmed and also him, I definitely, uh, you know, was not accepting of it. I still feel passive or felt like my intervention was inadequate. And, you know, it's not about me. And so, like, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can.
0: I know, but we're talking. Do. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and so, yeah. So, one, uh, in personal relationships, I have proximity to um, just trying to offer the skills I have as a, in, t- in terms of dialogue and conversation, to be able to listen, to be able to understand, uh, to give the space to voice because you can't acknowledge something if it's, you know, you don't have the space to address it um, and trying to figure out how to um, rally around existing relationships to create process for healing um, and and trying to do that also organizationally in a program and that I think can hopefully be a model. Um, so I think men need to create spaces in networks. So if you want to say on a city landscape or on a national landscape or on a neighborhood landscape uh, or in an artistic community landscape. yeah, yeah, or, yeah. So it, whatever the um, the matrix is that you're, you know, you're interacting with um, there needs to be multiple interconnected spaces that I see have three goals. Um, create healing and support for masculine folks because I believe masculinity and gender violence to be similar to an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, kind of treating it with like an AA type of framework, uh, or
0: other ways of treating addiction, doesn't right? Because right, right, right,
1: right? But yeah. recovery is—I was right. using that as a blank a re, kind of a recovery framework um, that require that can't really be done individually or in isolation. Right. Um, raising consciousness around these issues of of gender, of patriarchy, of violence, uh, and then building response teams. Uh, I think in every space there needs to be a group of masculine people who have gone through some type of process or some type of learning, uh, that can be called upon, I think Hmm. immediately. And then also, um, and for the more long-term processes, I think a real issue is the imbalance of the fact that folks who are triggered by and have experienced similar harms are often the ones we rely on to lead. and, and, there's a balance of we need to be accountable to those who've experienced. And listen to their experience. right? And, and yeah. not just like, oh, we're going to do it and kind of like mansplain. Uh, but we really need to take that emotional burden Uh, because like I was talking about YCA, right? Like my relationship to that history is much less triggering right. than someone else. So me coming and talking about you know, my peripheral understanding of the violence is much different for someone who has experienced, even if it wasn't NYCA somewhere right. else, right? And so I think that is an example of we need to try to figure out how to duplicate the fact that uh, women have disproportionately experienced this. So therefore should not be the ones we are expecting to to create the hashtag, and then we read their their article, and then we ask them to come speak, and yeah. then you know, um, figuring out how to be in real partnership and relationship with non gender non conforming folks, because also we need to make sure that we're not um, upholding that b- dichotomy and all women and fem uh, that that there is partnership and accountability, but that the labor and the energy um, is really being um, done by by people who are privileged in this situation.
0: Yeah. And so a couple more tangible things that can be done as we get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um first of all on a like creative industry side, if you are in a position where you're picking who gets to perform or who gets access to resources, take into account the harm that they've done and the mess not just the messaging in that sense, but you know, we operate from a place of abundance but industry doesn't. Mm-hmm. And in a city where there are somewhat scarce resources for performance, And for artistry, give those resources to people who have not committed that harm, as far as you can tell. And you're not, you know, it's not that that's the responsibility to, like, investigate every person. But, you know, there are now, when it is public, as someone who has access to resources, you get to make a choice about who you give that money to. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not, you know, tearing, tear that person down. I'm not... I can't advocate for what should happen on the macro. I'm not sure. But I know as someone who, you know, in my shoes, sometimes I get to pick Mm -hmm. who gets access to performance or Mm -hmm. to stage time or to money. Mm -hmm. That is a valid thing, I think, to take into consideration when Mm -hmm. you choose who to give that opportunity to. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one thing. And then also, you know, kind of beyond just what do we do with or, or how do we react to the people who've committed harm? There are A bunch of tools that, uh, you know, have been kind of shared about. Uh, One thing that I want to make sure we uplift is actually something that Ergo alum Miriam Cabo, whose, you know, whole life work has been about this, shared uh, today, which was actually scheduled to come out today anyway. It's a resource hub about ending violence. Uh, It's called Transform Harm, and the website is transformharm.org. And it's created by Miriam and designed by Justin Lublink, and it has selected articles, AV resources, curricula, and more uh, with a bunch of different focus areas, including transformative justice, community accountability, restorative justice, abolition, healing justice, and carceral feminisms. Um, so those all sound like big words, but really what they are are resources to help everyone have a better understanding of what we're talking about so that when this moment comes up again, because it will continue to happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not scrambling from zero. It's mm-hmm. so that the work that you do between now and the next time prepares us communally and individually to better process and address the harm that's committed.
1: Yeah, that's super real. A couple of things that, that made me think about around the discourse. This is movement work, whether we like see it as that explicitly, but this is a social movement, right? Uh, right? That history will help us understand better. And so I think what we can learn from how people who are not intimately connected or affected by the design of movement. So like BLM as an example, so non-black people talking about BLM or Me Too uh, as a precursor to this R. Kelly surviving loudly moment um, is if you do not have relationship to the experience, it is not your place to critique or hold accountable the movement to resist it, right? What I'm trying to say is that survivors are not perfect and movements are not perfect. And what I see a lot is as a way to evade accountability Um, Those who are harmed and triggered, who are trying to respond to their harm, get torn down and critiqued by the collectivity of the movement, if that makes sense, right? So I'll I'll use BLM as an example because Mm -hmm. that is the experience I can speak towards, right? Um, All people who say Black Lives Matter are not going to have a transformative revolutionary outlook. Um, All things that happen at a protest, all signs that are made, all tweets um, are not going to be perfect or without limitation. But what I saw folks who seem to be upholding and actively supporting white supremacy and have an anti-liberation framework do is from an external position, try to critique the limitations of an entire movement. And what I think we, we need to be not even careful stern about is um especially men right now in this moment do not come with but this don't this don't seem fair to me or this you know you got to look at it from both sides or you know if you're there there is a way in which folks who do not have appropriate relationship to the experience and have privilege in relation to the experience specifically um will counteract or um have a toxic relationship Hmm. to the movement overall. And so if you do not have, um, if you have not experienced sexual violence, unless you are being accountable or learning, kind of shut up.
0: Interesting. I don't know if I agree. Why not? I would say initially, shut up. (laughs) I think there are ways to ask questions and talk Mm -hmm. and challenge that are not discrediting or trying to delegitimize. I think there are ways that people who are fighting for their lives sometimes get tasked with having all the answers mm-hmm. and having the the burden of never, you know, like you said they have flaws mm-hmm. of not having all the answers and yet regardless of what they say no one can follow up because they don't want to step on that toe that I think the challenge for men and people with different positions to prove and I'll just speak for me mm-hmm. is how can I bring questions and ideas and perspective in a way that is not confrontational or asserting power, but it's contributing. Right.
1: Which is much, which is different. From and what I, I, and I think I
0: yeah. very few people are able to do, to do that. And I come up short in it too. Mm-hmm. And it ends up becoming defensive or devaluing or, you know, you're not fighting for your life correctly. And, and that's not acceptable. Right. But I, I, I think the assumption that someone who has been through that harm therefore has the answers for how to address that?
1: Yeah, that's not what I was saying, right? Okay. And so that was my point, is that the person who has experienced the harm does not have all the answers, but they are the people who are leading uh, mm-hmm. or who have taken these proactive steps. And so in the abstract, yes, we need space to you know have healthy dialogue and challenge, but in the reality, what I see is it is most often it is not an way. expression of let me learn. Right. That instinct to challenge right. it's not in good faith. Is to entrench yourself in the norm. Hmm. It is because the changing of the norm is difficult. And so now we go to these abstract principles of justice and equality that are not governing. Or
0: civility or right? yeah.
1: That are not governing day-to-day, just like social media in general. Those those requests for that type of civility right. only comes from people who are working from a a liberatory standpoint. So then for me, that becomes anti-liberatory. So when I say shut up, I mean, I I was like, you know, that was like an idiom for learn. Right. Right. Because most times those critiques are coming from a place of ignorance and not ignorance and like, like you literally do not know what it's like to be a woman, specifically a black woman who has experienced sexual violence. You literally do not know what it means to be a black person in America. So you have been an example of how you can contribute, how you can ask questions, how you can be in dialogue with a movement that is not directly connected to your identity separately. And I think this is another iteration of Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that... That's just what I see in the mainstream. I see a lot of trying to talk about the parents as a way to like not... Talk about harm or right. if abuse. you're
0: if if what you're doing in your response is attempting to discredit the reality of somebody else, then shut up. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I agree with you. <laughs> so this is the beginning of what will be an ongoing mm-hmm. and important and meaningful conversation here and across the city and continuing like across the world is the hope yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the work but I think we both just kind of at least I know I, know I felt like this is a platform we built for mm-hmm. this moment mm-hmm. so that we have a place to pick this apart and a community of people not just to one hold us accountable but mm-hmm. also to respond and be in dialogue with mm-hmm. so beyond just reply on Twitter and Instagram and all that you know David and I are both available mm-hmm. publicly and privately in different ways mm-hmm shout out to, to the people
1: who've already reached out that helped prompt the energy for this. So, uh definitely want to uh shout out tweak um who I spoke to today. Yeah. Uh shout out John Doe who is somebody I have a real close relationship and we've been talking about this holistically.
0: And, and most yeah. importantly, we hear and are listening to the people who are sharing their pain in an incredibly courageous way. Yeah. Thank so, you thank
1: you so much for for taking that step for humanity, for life because the the fruits of these seeds are generational. So unfortunately, often history teaches us that the people who take the first steps don't get to see the eventuality of benefit. Uh, and so, the, you know, it is triggering and it is, it is difficult what is being done, but it is putting us in a space to have a better reality. So, and even if we can't see that, we see you. Yes, we love you. Thank you very
0: much. So we'll be back on Thursday with, a, with an interview, but we wanted to get in here and do this. Um, And we'll talk to you soon. Much love to the people. Peace.